Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. I was waiting to see who was going to say it first. <laughs> Me too. Now that we've done our little reels with like, hi, hi, it's yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> we'll morning. have to do more of those at some point. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. We're starting a new book. Mentioned it last episode, American Baby by Gabrielle Glazer, A Mother, a Child, and the Secret History of Adoption. So this book dives into the baby scoop era and all the secrecy and lies and, you know, really exposed it. This only came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's nice to read actually from her because she's such a good writer and it's very rich, like from a reporter type of the -hmm. way she writes, just the investigative part already mixed with good writing. I can't wait. Well, and she started like, because Mm -hmm. she, she was doing a story on kidneys, something, right? Right. Dialysis. And she met David Rosenberg in 2007, who was going through dialysis in Portland. Yeah. And he, he had such a great sense of humor. So she goes to meet him to talk about his dialysis, you know, story about all of that. And he gets into his background, who he is. And that's when she, or not knowing who he is, not knowing who he is and being very frank about it being from Jewish heritage and all sorts of interesting things. And so when they start to dig into it, she's like, wait a second here, this is a thing. And I just like that somebody not adopted thought, let me look into this. This is big and go down the story, stayed in touch with him and how it unfolds. It's, I don't know. I just thought their relationship. Well, one thing that kind of struck me was, okay, so this book was, well, that was 2007 when she Mm -hmm. met him, but this book was 2021 and she was writing all this as if it was revelatory. Yeah. Even though we all know and have, you know, it's just, it's amazing how that propaganda narrative of how wonderful it all is so outshines and has outshone any of the negative stuff. She had no idea. And continues to. Yeah. Yeah. And she had no idea. And being someone who's out there in the world and writes for things and she didn't know. And she's in that, right. Like you said, just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it is eye-opening. Well, there were some things that struck out for me where she gets into the relationship of looking back in his family. Do you want to start there with his? Yeah. Well, I just, it's just that Mm -hmm. I highlighted something Yep. and it's just only adoptees would notice this. That, you know, David was wanting to find out where he came from, especially mm-hmm. with dialysis and all that. But it says both, had, and he's talking about his adoptive parents, both had died long ago. And David didn't feel he was betraying their love by trying to discover oh. more about his identity, medical history, and the woman who, as he put it, gave him up. He had to wait. <laughs> Why is it considered a betrayal of love to yeah. want to know who you are and where you came from and yeah. your medical history and your who you look like? Like, yeah. I read you that know, too, and this... it made me think of me. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you have permission now to find out yes. who you are. <laughs> it's just, it's such a... And he was entrenched in that. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, oh man. Yeah, well, it starts with shame, right? It starts with shame because it gets into the early life of David's grandmother and mother. 
And Wait, there was one more oh, thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Just because, you know, she's, yeah. Gabrielle's doing all this mm-hmm. newly discovered stuff for her. Mm-hmm. The adoption business comprised an array of individuals and institutions from researchers whose pseudoscience justified the advantages of unproven practices in child assessment to the social workers addressing family crises and adoption agencies that frequently benefited economically and professionally from each woman they persuaded Mm -hmm. to relinquish a child. That's exactly right. I was thinking of that recently. I was telling somebody was asking me about my adoption story and I hear it differently now because I know my mom relinquished me, but to what pressure? Because she was meeting with people at the hospital all the time and social workers. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. the pressure. Oh, this would be better. You know, there's money involved. It's a business. I was forcefully taken from my birth mother. I think her her mother was in cahoots with, you know, like told the nurses and doctors, do not let her hold the baby, mm. take the baby immediately away, you know. Think of that. We were just talking about the traumas that live with us before we got on the, Mm -hmm. the deep, you know, illnesses and different things, anxieties and things that adoptees all seem to have. And, you know, think of that, that you're just taken right there from just crying little baby. It makes me think, yeah, well, speaking of family matters. So chapter one, she gets into her grandmother and grandfather's history, like and her mother into David's David's. Yes. Sorry. Into David's, (laughs) into David's family. And it's just, you know, it was interesting because the grandmother came over from Germany and they had some wealth and whatever, and then ended up in a string of bad relationships. I don't know if we need to go into all of that, but the way she raised her daughter, Margaret, who's his birth mother was all about being this good, you know, Orthodox Jewish girl. And yet don't, have any desires for men don't have any it's shame 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 was right and she was david's grandmother Mm -hmm. gertrude was left by her first husband Uh during the after the crash of 1929 yeah so she had a lot of bitterness in her Mm -hmm. yeah well and And they you know they came over escaping the holocaust yeah both of his grandparents she was quite gertrude the grandmother was quite beautiful and like a model of some sort for hats do you remember that? I thought mm-hmm. that was, I mean, in that era, she was quite sophisticated and then became this hardcore woman that ran her household. The husband had no chance. They said around her, she ran a tight ship and, and harsh, right? And really hard on Margaret. And here's this girl coming up in 1950s America, trying to become who she is in the country where she's being told these mixed messages, you know, and very naive. It, it struck me how naive she was about sex and you know, girl things and, you know, getting well, right. When she got her period, she, she had to talk to her friend. I think that was super common. Yeah, I do too. In families that that stuff just wasn't talked about. And I thought it was interesting. Did this part strike you as she didn't know how people got pregnant really? I mean, she wasn't totally sure how people got pregnant, but knew that had to do with sex and, but she was making out their boyfriend, all those things, but wasn't really sure how that would occur. Mm -hmm. That's how, I mean, imagine that's how you're ending up having a baby in the world. That's a lot of shame there. You're just this, you know, bad girls do that. Good girls mm-hmm. don't. That right. was the message. Yeah. And, you know. That was uh, the era. That was the era. And she meets a good looking boy in school, George. Right. And the mother did not like him. 
Well, and his family did not like Margaret because they Mm -hmm. didn't think that he, she was good enough. She didn't have the social standing. Mm -hmm. That great picture of them, by the way. Yeah, beautiful couple. I know, and it just breaks my heart because I think about what we were just talking about. Here's she; they end up having their relationship progresses. They sneak out. They finally end up having sex, which she didn't even know that they were having. (laughs) Just they didn't even take their clothes off. I was yeah about how all that happened, and then she ends up pregnant. That's where we left off. But just her, you know, the last line of that was what hit me, just the shame involved in it. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't change. This is what we're still dealing with. It's like, she knew from her mother's and the synagogue's dictates that sex before marriage was off limits, something only bad girls did. Now she was one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that just sets up how this man, David's going to be brought into this world. And it just you know, the backstories. I think that's what we were talking about the Hallmark moments with adoptees. That's what bugs me because even just the other day I was watching something just now, this is what 2023. And there was something, there's only the good reunion, certain stories. There's not the backstories Mm -hmm. of adoptees or the birth mother. Well, and that jumps me back to the prologue Mm -hmm. for something I highlighted you know, the one thing that few, it seemed, thought to consider was the lifelong emotional impact on women who were hidden away in shame mm-hmm. during pregnancy, expected to lie about it ever after, and then told to put their babies out of their minds. Few invested much thought in the feelings of the adoptees who were brought up to think that their birth parents hadn't wanted them, and that regardless of how cherished they were, they were their adoptive parents' second choice to biological offspring. Mm-hmm. Adopt and then they for the better, you know, adoptees would blend seamlessly into their new families. The theory went. And if they wanted to know about their biological origins, one day they could look when they were adults. Mm. Although with families who had wanted to love them so much, why would they bother? <laughs> why would they bother? Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to read it because so many people have actually mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, reasons. when there's a yep. list of like, hey, if you want to understand adoptees and adoption, here's a list of books. You know, there's always on Twitter, people mm-hmm. are tweeting. and Yeah. And Gabrielle, I, we hope you're listening. We sure do. Because we'll be looking forward to talking to you one day when we're done with the book. I love it. I know I like people to hear from her because she's talking to more adoptees as she goes forward. It's kind of mm-hmm. one of her causes now. So, yep. If you're following along and you have the book. We're starting up next week with chapter three. So follow along and send us your comments. I've noticed people, and I haven't quite figured out that people have been commenting on Spotify, but there's no way to respond on Spotify. It's very strange. So if you're commenting on Spotify, please know that we're seeing them and we appreciate it. We just haven't figured out how to respond. <laughs> yeah. And go to go to Facebook, to our Facebook page or Instagram and comment there so other people, or Twitter. Or so Twitter, people, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. So comment along. All right. Well, uh, we have a great guest for our season. Yes, exactly. All right. Okay, see you see soon. In a see you in a minute. Hi, listeners. We just wanted to thank our sponsor, S12F. He's a fellow adoptee dedicated to supporting other adoptees. And of course, we want to thank our Patreons. We couldn't do this weekly podcast without your support. We're so happy to be able to get these important stories out there. Thanks again. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Now back to our guest. Hello. Here we are for another episode, another guest. 
And our guest today has two memoirs out. She's an adoptee coming to us from Cincinnati. And her memoirs are called Akin to the Truth and After the Truth. And this is Paige Strickland. Welcome, Paige. Hi, Paige. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I know finally we've rescheduled, but I'm so happy to see you. So tell us why you're here, why you reached out to us. Okay. The backstory. Yeah, I was browsing podcasts. So that's how I found you guys. And I was specifically browsing adoption podcasts. And there you were. And I was like, oh, I haven't ever listened to them before. (laughs) Yeah. And I heard somebody else. I listened one time and it was somebody I recognized. I knew from the adoption community. And I was, oh, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I kept listening and I was, I had a long drive thing to go to two times a week last summer. And I'd listen to one episode going and one episode coming back. And I did that all summer, just binge listened. And it was great. It was and great. So you wanted to come on and tell yeah. your story. I wanted, yeah. I want to get on there too. Yeah. 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 All right. So start, yeah. tell us your story. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm a Ohio born raised adoptee. I'm in reunion. It's we're closing in on 35 years on my birth mother's side. And that's a long time. Closer to 20, yeah, 21 years on my birth father's side. And so, yeah, that's a long time both ways, but, Mm -hmm. and I, I found everybody back in the eighties. So it's been a while. And you had to be just a teenager when that happened. (laughs) I was uh, pretty young. I was not yet a parent, but out of college. So that's young. Yeah. So it was a closed adoption. My parents who adopted me, and I, the language I use is they're my parents. You know, they're not some other name or what. That's my parents that they adopted me. I know no different. They were told it was a closed adoption, and that meant no one could ever find anyone else. And they took it at that level of understanding. I grew up with that level of understanding because that's what they were told. I don't believe they ever lied to me. I think that that's just the way they knew how things were. But they told you you were adopted? Like you they remember? They told me I was adopted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a real exact specific moment where I found out and went, oh, or anything like that. Nothing dramatic. No, like obnoxious drunk relative at Thanksgiving that spilled beans or anything like that. <laughs> you know? So I always knew, but. What my parents, I think, didn't realize, or it was one of those, we only want to know what we want to know, and we're not going to think about other things, or we're going to hear what we want to hear, was that when I was, I don't know if it was 18 or 21, my records would be open. So it was closed for a time until adulthood. And yeah, my parents, I don't think they were thinking far into the future or anything like that. They were thinking about now. And so, I grew up believing it was 100% closed no matter what, that we were in one of those states. And then I was watching a TV talk show and they had adoptees on there and a social worker. And they said, in Ohio, your records are open if you're an adult. You send your $20 certified check to Columbus and request it and send a couple of pieces of ID like marriage certificate, which would prove your last name change from, you know, and if you have your original or not your original, your amended birth certificate, so they know, you know, they match the numbers on there. And because the difference on my 
amended and unamended birth certificate is my amended one has a letter A dash and then the numbers. Huh. That's interesting. I have, I have a quick question now, about that talk show. It was the 80s. Were they acknowledging the trauma of adoption at that time on that talk show? No, it was so long ago. I don't recall them using the word trauma. They were just talking about how adopted people that the adopted people that were on the panel were just talking about how they wanted to know where they came from and who they were related to and who they looked like, all the things we all want to know, you know, and if it's possible, you know, why shouldn't we not be allowed kind of thing? And they kind of had a point counterpoint, like one social worker was like, yeah, yeah, these, they are absolutely correct. This is for good psychological benefits for doing this. It doesn't harm anyone. And then you have the other social worker going, oh no, we made a vow to these people a long time ago. And, (laughs) and, and so it was a discussion thing, you know, and it was civil, not like it was not a trash talk show. (laughs) And, And it was this little local TV show that probably nobody else has ever heard of unless they were living here in the eighties. But there was a lady on there from cub, which was really the only thing locally we had. They didn't have adoptee groups. What's cub? What's cub concerned United birth parents. And yeah, so that's, it's a thing. It's a pretty big thing. It's still out there and it's like national, but there was a little local chapter here. I never knew that any such type of thing like this ever existed, but at the time it was designed for anybody, adoptees, adoptive parents, and birth parents, all three. I didn't know about Cub. I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Concern United Birth Parents. I couldn't tell you now the history behind it or who started it or what. The two ladies that were heading it up back in the 80s here, I've tried to find them. I don't know where they went or they're not on social media. There's no obituaries. I mean, I've tried to Google them and find them and say, hey, guess what? You know, you remember me? (laughs) But just gone. Um, So did did they help you? Is that how? They did. They did. The two of them were birth mothers. And one found her son. But the problem was he was a teenager and she couldn't really connect with him the way she wanted to. But she at least knew where he was and was kind of following him, if you will, you know, not stalking, just following him. She knew where he went to school. She could occasionally show up at a game and just buy a ticket and, you know, go in the gym and see him in a game. And that, that kind would of be thing. surreal. Just wow. Yeah. But that's all she could do. And I think she hired a detective or something like that to find him. And then the other one, I don't think she had any idea where, I don't even know if she had a son or a daughter, but she didn't know where they were. But everybody, you know, you go around the room, everybody says who they are in the, at the time, just the triad and, you know, where you are in your either search or your mindset, you know, that kind of thing. So they were real good at giving advice about either, you know, if you send a letter to somebody, what to say, what to not say, how much to divulge, how much to not divulge, that kind of thing, you know prepare yourself ahead of time. They were just really good about stuff like that. You really had support at a young age for that, that so many people go into reunion, not yeah, un- yeah. so unprepared without no help or anybody to yeah. speak to. And were your parents supportive of this? My mother who raised me was totally supportive. She was like, well, I would have done the same thing as you, you know? So she kind of got it as good as she can get it. And she's still that way. She's 90, almost 93 now. And she has met birth family. 
So that's good for of, her. Being and your one. father, was he? He was going through a lot of personal issues at the time that had nothing to do with anything else. It was his own other stuff going on. He was not real supportive. He just blamed himself and said he was a bad dad and all that stuff. And I was like, no, that's not it. That's not it at all. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for me. It's not about you. It's about me. It's I'm curious. Wouldn't you be curious too? You know, and it just, he was just, I just can't believe you did that. I can't believe it. Were you raised with siblings? I have one brother that was their natural kid. Older or younger? Younger. He came six years after me. Mm -hmm. They had put in to adopt a second kid thinking they couldn't have kids. And magically, magically, that happens (laughs) sometimes. That's a trick to find your fertility sometimes is either go in to adopt and then, you know, any psychological pressure and angst, you know, gets diminished because you know you're getting a child one way or the other. And then, yeah. And did, how was your situation? Was it a good one? It was a good adoption, a good family. You know, no people are perfect. You know, there's drama, there's dumb things people do, things like that. But yeah, it was what you would label as good and successful and all that stuff. Some people don't like those words. I get that. But what do you call it? You know, <laughs> it was okay. You know, my parents had their marriage problems. They ended up getting a divorce. And again, it had nothing to do with kids. It was other stuff going on in their lives and things. Yeah. yeah. So how old were you when you started the search with right the out cub? of college, right? Right. Yeah. 21. Was married. I was, I think, 26 or 27. Okay. Yeah. Out of school, working. My husband and I had actually bought that's the house we live in now. Bought our house. We were living here. No kids yet. Just pets. And we saw an ad watching TV one night. We saw an ad for the show coming up, this talk show coming up. And that was going to be about adoption. And I spent growing up not even thinking about adoption. I didn't want to be adopted. I hated it. I didn't like that. <laughs> Tell anybody I was embarrassed, ashamed, all those things. It just, it was just like, didn't make me feel special. I just knew it happened because something went wrong somewhere, but who knows what? And, you know, wasn't judging anybody or anything like that. I was just like, I'm not sharing this with people. The only person I shared it with was the guy I married. <laughs> And so lots of people never knew. And a lot of your friends growing up, nobody knew or things. Nobody knew because I thought, oh, well, that's just one more thing. Oh, we'll bully a kid over. And I kind of knew because I just kind of knew I was not in with the cool people. So somebody will use that against me. So I just knew better than to Mm -hmm. bring it up and say, hey, guess what, guys? I'm adopted. Did you, did you feel differently in your family? You knew you were adopted like we did, but did you feel that sort of just difference? I did. I was not really like them in terms of temperament. We looked close enough alike that strangers, you know, we could fake it. Mm -hmm. And, And my parents didn't bring it up much either. They didn't really talk about it or... You know, it's like, if I wanted to ask a question, okay, fine, here's your answer, moving right along, Yeah. you know, else, you know but it wasn't a big sit down at the table and have a two hour talk kind of thing. And it didn't come up, you know, at Christmas or in front of their friends, if they had people over or anything like that, 
it was almost like they were pretending as much as I was, Mm. you know, because I think they were told at the time to treat me like I'm not adopted, just treat me like I was born to them and forget about it. And so that's pretty much what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was that baby scoop era, right? Like, right, just- right. Yeah, I was born in 61 and adopted in too. So, yeah. Where were you for that year in foster care? I was in foster care, who knows where, somewhere mm-hmm. here. That's all I know. And my parents don't recall the name of the foster care people where- Yeah, which I is have that same issue. Yeah, yeah. Sent to the foster home to see me and- figure it out, you know, and I think there was more than one kid to pick from kind of, you know, in terms of they had like brand new babies. And by that point I was closing in on a year and then they had older kids too. And so they were like, they thought I was a good age to adopt. They weren't really looking for a newborn infant. I was like shopping for a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Going no. to the shelter. It, you know. it really is. I mean, I've, I've kind of identified with my dog more yeah. than it. Else yes. For years and years. We're like that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And I mean, there's a reason why I have four cats today. <laughs> <laughs> Just they're adoptees too. Yeah. It's such a big year of your life and not knowing to find them and just no one knows the name. And yeah. And there was just so much that nobody knew. And it was, it's also so I find this kind of like, okay, you're, as adoptive parents, like this is the most important thing in your child's, like, how can you not remember those important details yeah. for yeah. your child? It's yeah. their life. Like, yeah. yeah, but there's nothing. I mean, I have my baby book. My mom gave it to me when she moved one time. There's nothing in there except like a stenographer piece of paper about what I ate. Yeah, I had the. I have a little letter from my foster mother saying what nothing I exciting, nothing dramatic, and you know I was healthy. So I mean, just wow. Next, it's like my next. my foster mother gave me rice cereal when I was like three weeks old. I'm like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you should have done that. That's a little early. Yeah, probably gave me like gut issues my whole life. Yeah, it, it kept you full, off. so you wouldn't cry. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And oh, so how well, did the how, yeah. how did the reunion go? The reunion has been great. It's been wonderful. I'm pretty lucky in that way that everything has worked out. It was a road, a journey getting there, but it all worked out. When I wrote and got my papers, I kind of lucked out. My birth parents had unusual names. So it's like, what's really easy to find them because there isn't anybody else with that name. And then my birth father's name was also listed on there which is very rare. Mm-hmm. Were they so young? They were, she was not, you know, considering it was 1961, not that young. I mean, she was 19 and he was 24 and he was just out of the military at that point. He went in when he graduated from high school, was in the Navy and then got out. You know, it's kind of that hillbilly elegy story. Everybody was in the Appalachia part of Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, come up to Cincinnati and, further up to get all the factory jobs and mm. any jobs because in more people than all, all sorts of jobs, even childcare jobs, everything is happening up here and not in the hills and the hollers. So you got to get out of there if you want to have more of a life than what you grew up with. So that's what both of their 
they, and their, their families never knew one another, but that's what they both did. Her family all came out of Virginia and came up here and settled in this area and got jobs. And he did the same thing when he got out of high school and out of the Navy. He came up this way and worked for General Motors. Were they a couple or just sort of a get-together young thing? I think he told me they were in the same apartment building together, and that's how they met. So mm. they were sort of neighbors in an apartment. And, you know, I'm guessing the conversation was a long time ago and everybody's deceased now, but I'm guessing it was like one of these four family type apartments kind of thing. And he was in the one and she was in the other and some other people in the building. And that was that. And they got together and it's very possible knowing when I was born and you count back the months that something happened on his birthday. Let's put it that way. (laughs) And then they did not stay a couple? No, no. They were just neighbors there for a while. Friend, and friends with benefits? Yeah, kind of, that kind of thing. Like, hi, how you doing? Hi, you want some beer? Come on over. And, you know, then one thing leads to the next. I think that was kind of what was probably going on. I'll never really know. When I found everybody, my birth mother was already deceased. So, yeah, it was a found a grave. That must have been, so the she wasn't. I never get her perspective on what went down. So I have the same with my birth mother. I'll never really know. Yeah. I mean, I talked to her aunts and I've talked to, you know, her other daughters, my sisters, and of course they don't know anything because one wasn't, I'm the middle one. One wasn't even born yet. The other one was a toddler. So, and then, yeah, the aunts, they only knew what they knew, but they weren't all living under the same roof. So they only knew so much. Wait, she already had a child before Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. She had a kid. Yeah, she had a kid before me. When I got the original, well, yeah, when I got the original birth certificate for me, there's a thing marked on there about whether or not it's the mother's first birth or if there's other children or previous birth and that box was checked. So I knew when I got that certificate, I knew that there was a sibling out there. And and so she kept that sibling. She kept that one. And what it ended up happening was the first in 1959, everybody in her family had a kid married or not. Everybody had a kid. And my sister was born in September. And then there was, let's see, I had a cousin in a cousin in September, a cousin in November, a cousin in February. I mean, one in May, everybody was born in that year. And half the moms were single and not with the guy and half of them, some of them were married people, but my birth mother's grandmother who basically, yeah, she functioned as the family daycare lady in the family. She retired and she, she watched everybody's kids while everybody went to work. Was that not an apartment building? No, that was it. She had her own house Mm -hmm. and she had a larger home in the area here and yeah, all about 20 minutes from where I live too, which is like, wow, I've lived here my whole life and they've always all been only 20 minutes away. Yeah. Everyone says that. It's a, it's so yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah. If you don't, you know, if you're not transient, if you don't move around a lot, if you don't have a job that takes you all over the place and you just stay here, it's like we probably passed each other in the mall. We probably had passed each other in restaurants. Well, you know, it, that, and I know those things did happen actually, but anyway, the grandmother watched all these kids and it was kind of a, Hey, I helped you out once. And that was uh, with my 
chapter, everybody gets one. You can't keep doing this and I'm getting to financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't keep doing this. And how many kids do you expect me to keep running after? And at that one point she had, yeah, four or five of them all within that same year. All can you imagine five babies at the same time in a 70 year old lady watching all of them by herself? No. Yeah. That's, it was just, and then my birth mother had heart issues because she had rheumatic fever when she was a kid oh, and didn't get proper doctor care. Again, living in the hollers in the hills, probably with no doctor or a doctor that didn't know what they were doing. That and, was when they were still in Virginia. Correct. Yeah. And so she was not, you know, a healthy person to begin with. She had to have heart surgery after I was born. So there's another reason why she couldn't keep me because then she'd have to recover from that and be off work for a while and then go back to work because she didn't have a choice to not work. And what we believe when we look at all the dates and all the things and all the little small pieces of information that my sisters and I do have, we think she was holding out for my birth father to change his mind and marry her, which he didn't do because he was seeing somebody else. Yeah. And the somebody else was the woman he ended up married to for over 50 years. You know, can't say he made a bad choice. He, you know, his wife he ended up with is she's great. You know, she's kind of my stepmom in a way, you know, and that's who he had his kids with. So, you know, I have siblings on that side of the family too. And he was honest with her and told her, his the wife he married, everything that had gone on. She was totally aware, but, you know. So when my, you found him, where was he living? Again, 20 minutes from my house. Still. Mm-hmm. Still. Yeah. And was Everybody's, he happy to hear from you? He moved into a house when he bought a house. And it's the house he lived in his entire adult life, married with kids. And, you know, that's what he did for 52 years. And he was aware I existed, obviously, but he wasn't going to marry my birth mother. Now we know why. He also had the other lady pregnant. This is the same as mine. You You have a sibling that's basically the same age as you. We're nine months apart, almost to the date, but I came two months early. Oh. So, yeah, my birth mother was the first one who got pregnant, and then he got the other one pregnant. and probably thought, well, you know, uh, I know what I didn't do the first time. Maybe I should this time. So was he happy to hear from you when you found him? He was. He was a funny guy, kind of hard to read, very even keeled and neutral. But I think he was, when I found him and I first contacted him by mail because he had an unlisted phone number and I'd done some drive-bys by the house. I knew, (laughs) but I thought, well, you know, maybe his wife and kids probably don't know about me, you know, that I don't have any way of knowing about that. So I got to kind of be discreet about it. It was also the same year that General Motors plant here in town closed down and he lost his job. And he got an early retirement package and kind of locked out and kind of went, well, okay, yeah, I'll take take the money and run. But some people, they lose their job, you know, it's crushing, it's horrible. So I kind of waited and didn't approach him right away because I knew what something that was going on big in his life because it was all over the news around here that the the plant was shutting down, but everybody hundred percent laid off. Few people took transfers, but he had his 25 years in. So you knew this because you did your background research. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that was the one thing at those cub meetings. They were like, anything you can find out before you make the next move, find it. You know, you're being a detective, you're being a spy. This is what you do. And, you know, so that you go in with your eyes as open as possible. You'll never be 100% eyes wide open, but go in as open as possible. So, you know, just have some facts lined up. You also catch people in lies if you have your facts lined up. And, you know, I waited. The factory closed in the summer. I waited until it was tail end of September, start of October that I sent him a letter and it took him a week. And then he called me back and we talked and then we decided to meet at a restaurant and, you know, had had a three hour dinner, him, my husband and me. And he had, did he tell you at that time? No, everybody knows about you no. or at least his wife. No. Yeah. He said, nobody knew about me. Oh, nobody. Now my, his wife says different, but that's what he told me at the time. And then he, then he kind of ghosted after that. Yeah. That's For how why long? Till 2002. So, we, so a long time. 87 to 2002. Wow. What shifted to where you ended up being yeah, in touch again? He was embarrassed and ashamed for what happened. And he was afraid to tell it. Apparently the wife knew, but he had her sworn to secrecy. And he was afraid to tell his kids and have his kids hate his gut for it. And... What I learned later about him was that he had a reading disability and he really was more illiterate than literate. Like he knew just enough to sign his name and fill out a check and see if a bill came or something came in the mail, like who it was for, you know, but he couldn't like big read things. So he was intimidated and he was embarrassed about that. And he he was just super, super prideful. And, Mm. you know, he, he couldn't get past that. He had, he had a really hard time with that. And he, he saw me and my husband as these like worldly, super highly educated genius Uh, people that found him through all this mail correspondence and then doing research at the library and the courthouse. And like, he could never have done those things because he wouldn't have been able to read to do those things. So so you know, he had shame. He had a lot of shame for mm. not for the fact that he didn't marry my birth mother, but he he was I think it just like felt lesser. As he a sounds person. like a nice guy. But I think he really was. Yeah, he was a fun-loving, you know, 50-year-old kid in a lot of ways when I met him. You know, he liked his sports and really into that and just <laughs> had whole time. You know, he was enjoying his retirement because he didn't have to do anything but fish and hang out. After <laughs> 50, too. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 So I was like, I really want to get to know him. But, you know, I'm like, I'm this 20-something-year-old girl. I It's weird to chase this guy, even if he's my birth father. But a lot of people won't understand it. And he obviously barely understands it. And I'm just, I, I can't pursue him and chase him and bother him and call his so you so you didn't and then he how did you get back in touch in 2002 back to his space you know and just kind of hope someday he's going to come around again you know because i had sent him copies of my paperwork so he knew i wasn't like some creeper fraud person stalking him or harassing him you know but that's the other thing people can sue you for harassing and pestering and 
I don't want to go there. I don't want to get into that with him, you know, and turn it into such a negative that I'll never be able to. So the only thing I can do is kind of just sit and wait. And I did have my birth mother's side of the family. So I had that. This you know, is such had, the adoptee story, isn't it? Sit and wait. Yeah, if, yeah. I'm going through that myself. So yeah. Yeah. You bounce between the two sides and everything, you know, and it turned out my birth mother, when she was living and lived here in town, she did work at a bakery. It was not that Grater's Bakery, but she did work at a, a bakery, local family owned bakery here in town. And my mom used to shop in there. And my mom would send me in with the money to go pick up the order and get the change and bring the cakes or cookies or but a cream pies or whatever, you know, she got. So, I mean, it's very possible she baked a birthday cake for me and never knew it. Wow. Who knew? And they got free cookies to the kids. So I know my brother and I got a bunch of free cookies from those ladies working in there. (laughs) And that was back in the day when they were, they all looked like old ladies in white uniforms, you know, working in bakery, old school bakery. Yeah. So just to bring it back to 2002, your dad reached out to you? His daughter, the one that's closest in age to me, had to go to a family funeral on her husband's side. She left her five-year-old son with her parents while they went to this thing. She comes back from the funeral to pick up her son. She goes, mom and dad, you never guess what happened. This dude shows up out of nowhere claiming he's related to Mike's family, my brother-in-law's family. And, and we never saw him before. And we don't know anything about this guy. It's insane. What do you do? This is crazy. And I think at that point, my birth father broke and said, I think we need to have a talk. We have a little story too on our side. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't know that I would have done it because funerals kind of creep me out anyway. It's like, well, I don't have to go. I'm not going. Send flowers. Bye. Can't do it. But I think he was worried. What if I would do something like that? Mm. Yeah. So he figured he better take control of the situation. He was 65 or so, and he was starting to think about those things. And, you know, what are we going to do? And, you know, am I stalking the obituaries, looking for names? You know, I I like that he did it. I like that he. That's what it took for him to. It's brave. Yeah. Come out about it. You know, we all come out in a different kind of a way. You know, there's the coming out, pride come out, and then there's. The adoptee, right, of course, yeah. Sometimes it's the birth parents that have to come out, and that was the trigger for him that finally made him start talking. And he realized, you know, his kids didn't hate him for it. In fact, my sister was like, "Hey, Dad, everybody's doing it. <laughs> you know, everybody's got somebody living together, or baby daddy's all over the place. It's on television now. It's cool to, you know." The what was the teen pregnant teen moms or whatever all those shows, you know. Not sure it was cool, but (laughs) right. But it was a lot more acceptable mainstream. It wasn't shocking, right? And have that, yeah. You know, growing up from our age on up, know somebody who had a baby in school or left school, never return, and you never know why, but probably, you know, and we talk about it rather than going, well, nice people don't talk about that. Did your sister contact you? Like, how did that work? Who reached out? Yeah, on that one. Yeah, my sister that's closest in age to me there. This is funny. I was, I, it was Mother's Day weekend, I think. And I had taken 
my girls and my mother to go see the Mamma Mia play that was playing downtown. And it was a great show. So fun. I'm sitting there in the theater and I don't know if you guys have seen it or seen the movie Mm -hmm. birth father plot line in that show. (laughs) And I'm sitting there watching this, you know, and it's like, okay, I like the music and everything. They, They got the audience up dancing in the aisles and stuff. It was a fun show. But I'm thinking, birth father, birth father, this is a birth father story. Who knew? You know, I, I had no idea. And we come home, drop my mom off, come home, take off our fancy shoes. And my husband's standing there. He didn't go because it was pretty much a chick night. And <laughs> look at the caller ID box. And I looked at it and it was the last name. And it it was one of two people calling. and. The only thing we could figure at that point was we, my husband and I always guessed, well, if he dies and somebody finds the paperwork, we're going to get a phone call. Mm. So you we, thought he had died. That's the first thing I, I thought. Yeah. He died. My dad that raised me died young. So he died. You know, that's got to be what it is. You know, if he's, you know, if he's super stubborn, that's the only way it's going to come out, you know? And so was there a voicemail or, or there was. There was a voicemail. She left a voicemail saying who she was and that she was going to call back because she was off work the next day, which was a Saturday. She was going to call back at about 11 a.m. if that was okay. And by that point, it was midnight for us. And I was not going to call her back at midnight. Sure enough, 11 o'clock a.m. next morning, phone rings. We were on the phone for three hours talking about who and what everybody's doing and who has kids and who doesn't have kids and, you know, all this stuff. So that when my own kids got to go through the reunion with me. That's so great. That's and really so great. It's sad. They've, they've it's been sad they had to wait so long. No, yeah. I know. You know, but we've been through a lot since and we've had a lot of fun. And, you know, when my kids got married, they were at weddings and things like that. So when her son got married, COVID kind of ruined that wedding, but so I couldn't go, but you know, we've done a a whole lot of things together. We've done lots of Christmases and Thanksgivings together and you know, it's it's all good. You know, that's great. And on your birth mother's side, are you close to them as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. The only difference is they live on the West coast. So you don't get to see them as much Oregon. So it's, yeah, I don't get to see them a lot. Last time we were together was 2021, I think was 21. We got together. There was another cousin on my birth mother's side who was also adopted out just like me. And there was sort of a, it's more her story to tell than mine, but she and I are close now, but we never knew each other growing up, but grew up in the same town together and had similar upbringings with, you know, she had two brothers instead of one. And, but, you know, very similar growing up socioeconomic kind of thing, just different schools. And my sister on that side, the one that's 18 months older than I am, always had in the back of her head that the guy who raised her was not really her birth father. She just, because of a fight that her parents had one night. So she thought, well, what if my mom wasn't just being mean and saying that you're not my father, you're not Tammy's father, you know, what if it was really true? You know, and so she did the ancestry test. She said, take an ancestry test with me, you know, because then we can eliminate one side of the family where we're supposed to be at and 
then we can, you know, let's eliminate backwards. Okay. I, I wasn't going to do an ancestry test because it's like, I know who everybody is. I'm good. I don't need to spend hundred bucks or whatever, but I did it kind of in support. It was super interesting experience anyway, even though I knew stuff and my kids did it. I did it. My mother that raised me did it. You know, we just were like, let's, let's do this. This is fun. So she figured out from that. And then she went to 23 and me too, which I haven't done that one because it's like, I don't need to do that. I know all my answers. I'm like, I'm one of the rare adoptees that knows all of my stuff. <laughs> but so she did it. And then yeah, she did it. And she found out that, yeah, indeed, her father who raised her was not her. Ah. And she did find her birth father a few years ago. But in the meantime, on 23 and me, this other cousin that was on our side of the family also did 23 and me and they matched. <laughs> so in two years ago, we gained another cousin in the family. And that's great. You might even have more. This is such a <laughs> yeah. Well, on, on every day I check ancestry on my matches just on the outside chance that there's a pop-up somewhere. Did my birth father father a kid when he was in the Navy or something? You right. know, yeah. I, I, I did find a first cousin on his side that my birth father's brother was a birth father and never knew it. He, oh, he never knew. Yeah, he fathered he, a baby. He fathered a baby when he was in the Navy. And they were, he was stationed in Honolulu and came back to San Francisco on a leave, had a girl, you know, hooked up a whole bit, went back to Honolulu and she was pregnant. Oh, and- these Navy boys, man. <laughs> <laughs> they sure are cute in there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that Sex in the City episode. Of- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, this is really, you have wow. quite the reunion story and really yeah. it sounds like yeah. a good one. And, um, and my cousin on that side, he was an adoptee light, if you will, and that he stayed with his birth mother and she married someone else who adopted him. He never knew who his birth father was though until he did Ancestry and matched to me. And it was right after Christmas, about four or five years ago. And then I've messaged him on there saying, I think I know how we're related and who your birth, because my other first cousin, that's his sibling that he never knew about were matched on there. And I knew about his sister, didn't know about him. And she wants nothing to do with it. She, she's just kind of ghosted mm-hmm. everybody, but he and I, and he lives, he lives outside of Denver. We've never met in person yet. Someday bucket list trip to go to Colorado and I, I will definitely meet him. And it's funny. He's actually in grand junction, Colorado. Yeah. And my dad that raised me had an aunt and uncle living out there and a cousin out there. And none of us are related, but I mean, it's just of all places. It's small world. And that's a small yeah. town. I know grand junction. Well, wow. yeah, this is just uh it's so interesting. The adoptee, how so many, you end up in the same places yeah. and the weird and, uh, well, synchronicities yeah well and, and Paige, i like adoptee light adoptee light yeah <laughs> yeah thank you so much for sharing and coming on and rescheduling with us and having patience we really appreciate it really really love hearing a good reunion story yeah yeah so. and my mom you know the my 93 year old mom who took the test i have a hilarious picture of her spitting in a tube that's great she has a distant cousin that we share which I guess kind of sort of means my mother is a cousin of mine. Interesting. Watered down so that we don't make a direct match, but we share a cousin. 
That's like, so interesting. Yeah, That's a that, great way to. I like that your mom was so open to this, and she's yeah, I do too. That's really yeah. She's really a curious good. person, and she's like, yeah, let's okay. What well, doesn't hurt anything? That's great. That makes it so much easier on the adoptee yeah. to not have to feel yeah. guilt. Right. It's really and great. My yeah. Dad, really feel guilt, even though, you know, he kind of probably wanted me to, but it was just like, you know, back then I was just not in so many words, just dude, you got your own issues. I'm not a part of that. I got to do me. You know, that's all that's going on here is I got to do me because I found a chance that I could. Well, so I'm me- so glad of how everything worked out and thank you for coming on. Sure. Yeah, this is great. great. Thank yeah. you. Guys. I know I'll be listening to more episodes and Great. And keep During us posted on everything. Remember when I'm off, that's I, I binge listen. So it's I, I love side. that. Yeah. Thank you for your support. We'll put your books in the show notes so yes. everybody can find you. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm, Thanks. I'm on Facebook and I don't really use Twitter. I have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. So if somebody tries to find me there, they're probably not going to get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll put everything, we'll put ways they yeah. can reach you. Thank you so much, Paige. Appreciate oh, you. it. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'm really happy we finally had Paige on. What a story. Yes, I know. And like to have gone into reunion so young, I just kept thinking like to have that sort of done and then have kids and, you know, she kind of had that piece of her life. She has such a long life with family. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, these, and you know what was interesting to me because I'm still learning so much. We're a couple of years into all this and I didn't know about the Cubs and no, I know how they've helped her. I mean, she really had like a support group at a young age to do this, you know, even if it's changed or things have morphed. I'm like, I was clueless about all these things. I, I know. Didn't even know. We were it's just really kind of out there on our own. Yeah. So great yeah. to hear. Yeah. I'm really glad we got to. Me too. And that her mom her. is her, bio, her adopted mom's her distant cousin. That's kind of, it's almost like the English monarchy finding those things out, you know? (laughs) It sure is. It was a neat story. I'm glad we met her. Anyway, what do we say? We say another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.